Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Psalm chapter 33. And it says, Shout for joy in the Lord, you O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. His, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and keep them open to Psalm 33. Psalm 33. I'm so glad that you are here and that we get the privilege to start our week in worship. You can always tell the faithful, middle of summer, dog days of summer, you melted on the way to church this morning at 10 o'clock and you showed up anyway, and we are grateful for it. We're in this study in the, in the summer called Summer in the Psalms, and we're looking at this ancient collection of psalms and poems and songs that give us incredible insight into who God is. And every psalm kind of stands on its own, and the psalmist recounts and records the, the story of God's faithfulness. Some of the psalms are poems and some are prayers. Today's is really a song. And I know some of you might still be kind of skeptical, as was I, that a song could really offer insight into who God is. Right, like we look, at the, look at the Old Testament, we look at the New Testament, we see so much theology packed in there, insight into who God is. But the Psalms, these songs are full of insight that evoke emotion and invite us to understand and explore God more fully. And just think about this, I think you know this, there are songs that just say, sometimes it's just a, a few simple words or a few notes that invite you to want to participate. I was trying to think, I was like racking my mind, like what, what is a, a good song that evokes emotion? And I came up with one that gets me every time, and it's just a few simple notes, and it just, and I don't sing very often, but it's just a tune, and it's, it's this, it's Red Robin, yum, you know that song? And I was like, every time I hear that, it's like, 
what is the, the old philosopher Pavlov's law? It's like, I'm ready to go, go get a hamburger and unlimited french fries and all the dipping sauces. We had community group there a few Tuesdays ago just because I was watching TV and saw the song on the radio. I was telling Carissa about that. I was like, I want to illustrate for them as we prepare to open this psalm, this song that invites people to worship, a song that evokes emotion. And I said, it's the Red Robin theme song. What do you think? And, and I thought she would giggle and laugh as many of, as you did. But she's like, what about the song that was playing when we started dating? The same one that was playing when you asked me to marry you or the same one that we danced at, at our wedding. I was like, no, I think the Red Robin song. It's really an invitation to taste and see that the Lord is good. But you know the songs. As they play, they've, they've brought something to mind. They've made an observation. They set it in a way that just kind of evokes emotion and it invites you to participate. So it is with Psalm chapter 33. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you have them. Find it on your phone. There's Bibles available in the lobby. But follow along as we just make our way through the psalm and see what the psalmist says. Because I love the way it starts. The psalmist, whose name we don't know, could have been King David, could have been someone else. He begins this way, he says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Now, there's, there's a lot to this psalm, and we're going to make our way through it relatively quickly. But this first, this first, I love the way it starts, this very first verse. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. He's very clear. Who is the psalm for? Who is he inviting to sing this song of praise? It is for those who are righteous, for those who have found themselves in God. Now, this was the Old Testament, so it was well before Jesus. But this was the people of God. He was inviting to worship that... Um, and I was thinking about, I was realizing that only the righteous can truly understand the heart of worship. Only those who have put their faith in Jesus and realize the fullness of what God has done for us. That doesn't mean that everyone can't sing songs of praise, that everyone can't turn on the Christian radio station and sing the songs along and, and get some value and benefit of it. But there's something special when the people of God who find themselves in God gather together to sing songs of praise. There's a, there's a heart behind worship. And then he says, praise befits the upright. It's like, what, what does that even mean? Praise befits the upright? I dug into it in the poetry is really just trying to communicate this idea that praise on God's people looks really good on them. It's like when you go to the store and the, the new season rolls around, it's time to update the wardrobe and you go and you find a really good looking outfit and you come out and the first time you come to church in your new outfit or shirt or something like that, people are just like, man, that, that, that looks good on you. That befits you. The psalmist says praise, a lifestyle of praise, and even more than that, a posture of praise, it looks good on God's people. You know that some people just go through life and they just look like they are just, regardless of circumstances, they are just full of joy and you're just like, man, that looks good on them. What is it? For the upright, it is the praise of God. That, that we were created to praise. We were made new in Christ Jesus to sing songs of praise. In fact, Peter, who was one of the closest friends and followers of Jesus, he spent much time with Jesus during the course of his three-year ministry. After the death and the resurrection of Jesus, Peter played a pivotal role in starting the church. At Pentecost, he preached the first gospel sermon. 3,000 people gave their faith to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus on that day. And then he continued to write and to encourage the church through the course of the rest of his life until he ultimately lost his life as a follower of Jesus. But to the church in the first century, and by extension the church today, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he says this. He says, but you... 
meaning like the, the, the church scattered abroad in the first century, but also the church today, as we read this scripture 2,000 years later, he says, but you, yes, followers of Jesus, as the righteous, those who have put their faith in Jesus, you are a royal priesthood. Your, your role is to, to tell people about God. You are a holy nation. You're like Kevin said in his communion meditation today, we are already established as a nation in Christ, a people for his own possession, that you. And that's, so like this is who you are in Jesus. You are made new, you are righteous, you're a royal priest, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may do what? You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And what, what Peter is saying to the church in the first century, in the church in the 21st century, is this, that, that you, when you put your faith in Jesus, and you look back to the Old Testament, it says, you are the righteous, you are the upright, praise befits you. It's because you were created to live a life of worship. You were created to sing songs that celebrate the work that God has done in and through your life. But the purpose of your life, once you have been moved from darkness to light, is to bring God's glory. In fact, it was the ultimate purpose you were created for, that sin made it impossible, but God made it possible again. And that all we can do once we are moved from death to life, from darkness to light in Christ, is to live a life of worship. That's why we gather each week to celebrate um, and to start our week in worship. That's why we say, don't miss a Sunday. Like, don't miss a Sunday. It's easy to get caught up and sleep in on a Sunday. It's easy to go out of town. If you go out of town and you're away on a Sunday, find a local church and worship with them because it's so important that we gather together to celebrate what God has done. Shout for joy in the Lord. It's invitation to sing a song, O you righteous, those who put their faith in Jesus. Praise befits the upright. And then we really get the heart of worship in the next two verses. He says this, he says, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, much like a harp. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings, which is a ten stringed instrument that is a harp. Right? Sing to him a new song, Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. All right, so we are uh, we're, we're reading the progression of this psalm. It's an invitation to come as the people of God to celebrate the work of God, to sing songs of praise. Praise befits the upright. It should be a, a celebration of joy for all that God has done in your life and that he's going to accomplish through your life. And then the psalmist gives some instructions. Start by giving thanks to God. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And I love this as I was studying this week because what are the three most common complaints you hear about church? I mean, not our church, because we are a group of people gathered here for the right reason to sing songs of praise. You know this is not about you. But other churches, what are the first three complaints you hear? You know, it might be like, preacher, I kind of like that sermon. The jokes were kind of funny. The setting was okay. But I didn't know any of the songs the worship team sang, right? Like, what about those songs we sang forever ago? I didn't know any of the songs. And the songs they sang, they sang way too loud. And you got a guitar on stage? I'm finding a new church, right? I'm going to find a church down the road. But the, I, none of you would say that, I know. But when we look here, we see God says, not Adam says, God says, sing to him a what? A new song, right? The old songs are good and they're powerful. And we do sing the old songs. We've got some Sundays coming up where we're going to exclusively sing the old songs because God is faithful. But we sing a new song because we are constantly experiencing the goodness and the grace of God in a new and real way. Right, God is unchanging, but we continue to lean in and to experience his goodness and his grace. And so we're constantly writing and composing and singing new songs about the way we have experienced God at work in our midst. The psalmist in the Old Testament says, sing to him a new song. 
play skillfully on the strings, right? They gather the instruments together and the musicians come well prepared. I love our worship team for a variety of different reasons, but when I was reading this skillfully, our, our worship team is so skillful. And, and they are skillful in their talent. That's not even really, I don't think, the heart behind this. They are so intentional. They come every week pre- prepared, prayed, and ready to lead God's people in worship. And it's nothing that's ever entered into haphazardly. And I was thinking about it not too long ago. There's so much prayer and focus that goes into planning the worship service each and every week. That's why you never miss a Sunday. Uh, But it starts with Nick, who puts the service together, and the whole team that comes together to prepare. But several weeks or months ago at this point, we were, uh, Nick and Lindsay were over at Chris and I's house, and we were talking about the worship service. And we were just kind of recapping on some of the things that we had done and the songs that we had sang and the things that we wanted to do looking forward into the future. And I was talking about one of the songs. I don't even remember the name of it off the top of my head, but I was just saying, like, this song we've been singing these past few times, like, I love this song. And I went on to talk about it and, and explain the chorus specifically, something about like we were created for worship. I'm not even much of like a singer, but I just love this song. And Nick, and I like to see Lindsay just look at Nick and he's just kind of chuckling. I was like, what? And he's like, that is like my least favorite song that we sing. And like that, that part of the song, like I don't even like it. And then I realized I, I was so humbled because so many of us, we come to church to sing songs that we like. And in doing so, what do we do? We make us and our desire the object of our worship. That we have a worship team that will, that will plan and pray and fast and prepare for these worship services every week. And they will show up and they will lead us in songs that they don't personally care for. Because the point of worship is to gather together, gather together to give thanks to God for the work that he has done. Sing a new song. Play skillfully with intentionality, preparation, and prayer on the strings with loud shouts. And I know we're a relatively small church. In the middle of summer, we're a pretty, pretty small church. I get it. But it's not the, the loud shouts isn't that we need to crank up the sound system, right? Though we can do that if we want to. This, the loud shouts is the people of God. It's the volume of the saints praising God for who he is and what he's accomplished in our midst. I've joked about this before, though. It's not really a joke. Almost every Sunday, Carissa sits next to me. At some point during the service, she'll give me that look. She said it a thousand times. Can you please quiet down? You're distracting me and those around you from worship. And I said, it's like the only time. I, I love to sing. I'm not a good singer. But the volume of our singing often reflects the gratitude in our heart for what God has done. Sing to God a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Sing to him a new song. In verse 2, it said, give thanks to the Lord. The purpose of gathering together isn't to find a, a church or a song or a melody that, you know, strikes our fancy. It's to give thanks to God for his faithful provision in Christ on our behalf. But it's not just in the singing of songs, is it? Thankfully, because some of us aren't gifted in that. It's the way we live life. Like this, this, this psalm is a song. It's an invitation to sing, to recite, to let this psalm affect the rhythm of our life. But it's more than just that. It's, it's as we sing and reflect on who God is and what he's done on our behalf, it begins to change the way we live life. And it's not just the song we sing, but the life we live is a sacrifice of praise to God. I know that's like a biblical way of saying it, but if you flip to Romans, keep your finger in Psalm chapter 33 and flip to Romans chapter 12. You see, the Apostle Paul, he writes this letter uh, to the church in Rome, the most powerful, influential city in the world, and to them he spends the first 11 chapters, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11, with 
theology, theology, theology. This is who Jesus is. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ died for you. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you could go, uh, shall we go on sinning so the grace may increase? By no means. Those who have been baptized in Christ have been raised with Christ. And it's just so theologically rich, explaining the nuances of the work that Christ has done on our behalf. And you get to Romans chapter 12, and he's, I don't know if he's running out of ink or getting, his hand is starting to cramp, but he's about to draw his letter to a conclusion, and he makes this massive pivot from this is who God is and what God has done on your behalf and how he brought Jesus into the world. And then he says, I appeal to you, therefore, meaning in light of all that God has done to make you holy and righteous and belong to the people of God, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, those in the church, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I think when we read the Psalms, when we gather in church, when we start telling people about church, and we start talking about worship, it's easy, and rightfully so, to, to just refer to the singing of songs as our worship time, right? We, have, we, we worship at our church, and we have communion at our church, and we have a sermon at our church, and we worship some more at our church, and then we go. What the, the scripture describes of the, of the followers of Christ is the life we live as a life of worship. That's why we uh, exist to invite others to experience immeasurably more, to experience the goodness and the grace of God by inviting them to exchange the common for the holy. That we don't live our life the way we want to live our life, but we trade in what is average and normal for the immeasurably more that God has in store for us. That we lead a life of worship. That when we leave this place and we go into our everyday life that we are worshiping, we're proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Sometimes we do it with songs, sometimes we do it with actions, but always we do it with a heart that is thankful for the work that God has done on our behalf. When you think about going to work, I mean, Monday morning rolls around. Sunday, you, you guys are here, you're focused on church, you're, we're grateful for that. When you wake up on Monday morning, the alarm goes off, and you start your week with worship, are you thinking about rolling into the office thinking, how am I going to worship God today? You go to school and you're sitting there taking an exam or studying, like, how am I going to worship? Or maybe it's just when you leave here and you go home and you've got roommates or you've got a family and maybe they're trying to figure out faith and they know you're coming from church and you come home and they're, maybe you're humming the, the praise songs, but it's more than that. It's like, how do you live a life of worship in your relationships when you get on social media? Like, is it a life of worship or is it all about you? Praise befits the upright. Praise and worship looks good on God's people. That's what the psalm says. And then in verse 4 it says this. He's going to give us some of the reason why we worship. So he invites us in, shout for joy in the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, sing a new song, play skillfully with loud shouts. Verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loved righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his steadfast love of the Lord. Our worship is constantly pointing to the work of Jesus. The, our worship is constantly pointing to the work that God has done on our behalf to express his love for us. Verse 4 says, for the word of the Lord. Right? Worship is more than just the singing of songs. It's our time in his word. The word of the Lord is upright. It is good. It is faithful. It is right. All his work is done in faithfulness. When I was praying through this a few months ago and just beginning to think about what God would say to his people, verse 4 really stood out. And I realized that the word of God and the work of God is inextricably connected to one another, right? He says, for the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. That the psalmist in the scripture, and the Holy Spirit, connects the word of God to the work of God. Just think about how much God accomplished through his word. In fact, the psalmist is going to tell us, verse 6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, 
all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the inhabitants of the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Think about all that God has accomplished through his word. Think all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's what the, the psalmist is referring to here. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then one day of creation after another, just God spoke into existence all that we see and know and are yet to discover. Right? The ever-expanding universe has started with the word of God saying, you know, let there be light. Let there be land. And scientists still look, I was watching some scientists debate this week, creationists and naturalists and things like that, and where they got to a point is they agree is there had to be a starting point. And the, the, the naturalist says, we see the starting point, there is this ever-expanding universe, at some point it's, something started, we don't know what it was, and the creationist says, I agree with you completely, but the person that started is the word of God, right? It was God who started, and from that point forward, it's been ever-expanding. The word of God accomplishes much. You fast forward through scripture into the New Testament. John, the gospel story starts like this. It says, in the beginning. And it references back to the beginning of creation. Again, it says, in the beginning was the word. But this time he's not talking about the, the spoken voice of God. He's talking about the person of God in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The word of God accomplishes much more than we can wrap our mind around. I've been reading in my prayer time in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, and it's been really impressive to see some of the things that God says, Jesus says. Jesus shows up and he's at Simon Peter, who's, who we just read one of his epistles. He's at his mother-in-law's house and Peter's mother-in-law is ill. And, uh, you know, some people might want their mother-in-law just to stay ill. But Simon Peter asks God, Jesus, please heal her. And so what does Jesus do? He stands over her and he rebukes the fever. He just simply commands the fever to go away. What happens? She's instantly healed. She stands up and she begins to wait on Jesus and the other followers. Not too much further in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples and they're in a boat and they're trying to row across the Sea of Galilee and the storm is... Uh, insurmountable and the waves are crashing over the boat and the disciples are terrified and they wake Jesus up there's a sermon in itself but they wake Jesus up and Jesus just kind of groggy I'm filling that in I don't know if he's groggy or always woke up with a smile but nonetheless Jesus woke up and he just rebukes the wind and the wave he just speaks and it stops and it says they were afraid they stood in awe what God was able to accomplish through his word what Jesus was able to accomplish through his word and then you fast forward to the end of the gospel of John and Matthew Mark and Luke and Jesus is, is nailed to a cross and with his words, it is finished. All of our sin is put in our past. It's put into a tomb, right? Three days later, he would raise himself from the dead. The word of God and the work of God are inextricably connected to one another. And their, their proper response on our behalf in worship, and I think the heart of worship, and the, the highlight of the psalm is found in verse 8. It says, let all the earth fear the Lord. We talked about this already in the Psalms because the, so much of the language of the Old Testament says we should fear the Lord. It doesn't mean we should be afraid of God. It doesn't mean that we should cower in fear, but just have a healthy respect and reverence for who God is, what he has done, what he is capable of, and what he has called us to be a part of. And then it says, let all the earth fear the Lord, verse 8, let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. And I think this psalm, I told you I've been praying through the psalms early in the year preparing for this, and this, this one psalm has maybe changed my entire perspective on how we do life in light of who God is that yeah God calls us to do incredible things he calls us to work he calls us to reach people but but what our job is just to lead the inhabitants of the earth those that are in our sphere of influence to stand in all of God 
And all we have to do is tell them the difference that God has made in our life, and they'll begin to stand in awe of him. But as we think about who God is and what he's accomplished, as we sing songs of praise, as we look at his word and think about all that God has done, the, the response from God's people is that we fear him and that we stand in awe. I was trying to think of like how to illustrate what it means to stand in awe of God. And any illustration I could come up with fell far short. Because God is more than we could ever begin to wrap our mind around. I said, if we try to wrap our mind around the goodness of God, it's like taking a Dixie cup to the edge of the Atlantic Ocean and think you're going to fit all of the ocean in the Dixie cup. It's just not going to fit. He's immeasurably greater than we could ask or imagine. But I was thinking about what are one of those moments that I have felt? Maybe you have a moment like this where you just stand and all, and all of a sudden you just think, wow. Like maybe it's laying on the ground at night under the dark stars and you just look up and you see the infinite nature of the stars and you think, man, there must be someone or something that hung and knows all of these stars and just overwhelmed, just stand in awe. Maybe it's like the edge of the Grand Canyon. You hear so many people and the first time I saw the Grand Canyon, I was on a helicopter and some friends had given us a helicopter ride so we were flying over the edge and I was terrified. So I was not in awe, I was just afraid. But there is a moment that I continue to find myself in awe of God, and maybe this has been your experience. It's when you, when you go on a cruise ship. You ever go on a cruise ship and stay in awe of God? All the food on the buffet? No, it's like when you go to the front. Some of you, yeah. Some of you is like, yeah. I mean, we got donuts today just because Doug said he wasn't coming to church again without donuts. So there's a buffet, breakfast buffet back there for you, Doug. But um, for me, I love the buffet, but it's when you stand on the front of the ship, when you stand on the front of the ship and you just see the vastness of the ocean. I'm not talking about when you're like setting sail or something like that, but when you're out at sea, one of those days at sea, and you go to the front of the ship and you just see the vastness of the ocean, you just feel so small in light of it, and realizing you're just seeing a glimpse. On our honeymoon several years ago, when Chris and I first got married, we went on a cruise, and I remember uh, in, inviting her to go on a walk with me, and I said, just, well, my favorite part of the cruise is this, and uh, I just want you to see the front of the ocean. She's like, yeah, I don't really see it. Uh, but for me, like standing on the front of the boat, looking at the, the ocean, knowing that we're not even beginning to understand the one who put all of the water there. In fact, he says this. He says he gathers the water, verse 7. He gathers the waters as a heap. He puts them in de the deeps and storehouses. Your translation may say he gathers the waters in the cisterns or something along those lines. Meaning that what is... Uh, immeasurably more than we could begin to wrap our minds around God is like pouring a water bottle to fill the seas that he is he invites us to stand in awe of him and here's how the psalmist goes so there's this invitation that we we know that we're invited to, to into God's presence as the people of God as the upright praise befits the righteous sing a song celebrate who God is and what God has done sing songs of praise the word of God is inextricably connected to the work of God and we can reflect on all that he's accomplished in our life and in from the beginning of creation, but all the inhabitants of the earth stand in the world of him, in all of him. But then it says this, it says in verse 10, it says, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of all his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. In short, he's saying, God's plan always succeeds. Your plan honest pretty pitiful compared to what God wants like you this isn't even the point of the sermon but in light of a God who created the world by his word do you want your plan or his plan how often do we spend time like God please bless my plan here's my plan your plan falls far short of what God wants for you you want what God wants for you then he says this he says verse 13 the Lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man 
From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army, a warrior not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope of salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. In an Old Testament language, the psalmist is saying, the world is looking at who is most powerful, who, which, which king can gather the biggest army. We might say, like, we're going to look at who has the most resources, who can gather the most finances as a, as a place to put our trust. But he's saying the, the plans of man often fail, no matter the size of your army or the resources you've accumulated, but the plans of the Lord succeed. And then verse 18, he says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. And as you think about the progression of the psalm, and I know we have to kind of walk through it step by step, but as you zoom out and just think of the overall progression of this psalm, it's an invitation for the people of God who put their faith in God to gather in the presence of God, to sing songs of praise, to worship, to, to sing songs, to lead a life that reflects the, the, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He connects the word of God and the work of God, and you can see the fingerprints of God through the, the faithfulness of your life. He recounts creation, but then he says, this God who was able to, who's worthy of our praise, who is capable of creating the world and more than we can see by the word of his voice, says, behold, the eye of the Lord, that God is on those who fear him, verse 18, on those who hope in a steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. What, what continues to blow me away, though I've walked with God for many years, is that the God who created the world would see fit to step down from his throne over creation to be nailed to a cross to deliver my soul from death and that it wasn't just a one-time thing but he continues to look after us and sustain us to keep us alive in famine and what you see here is if you've never put your faith in jesus the creator of the universe created you to live life in light of who he is, to live a life of worship. And because that was made impossible by your sin and my sin, he, he saw you and he stepped down from his throne that he might deliver your soul from death. And all it takes is trusting in the steadfast love of the Lord. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus or if you've been to church for many, many years and you've never taken a step to, step to put your faith in Jesus and to get baptized, just always invite you to go to the next step stations. There's no judgment. We would just love to share with you what it means because only those who have truly experienced the goodness and the grace of God can worship. But if you're here, as most of us are, and we've been walking with Jesus for a long time, he continues to sustain us, he says, and to keep them alive in famine. So God saved us. He delivered our soul from death, but he also sustains us as we walk with him. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love of the Lord be upon us even as we hope in you. And this song that the psalmist invites us to participate in, to sing, is a song that invites us to worship, to recognize that we have a God who is more powerful than we could begin to wrap our minds around, who is worthy of our praise, but who cares about the most intimate details of your life. He cares about the first thought that comes to mind when you wake up in the morning and the last worry as you lay your head down on rest. He cares about where you go for work and where you go for school, and he cares about where you buy a house and where you raise a family, and he is working all of these things together so that we might lead a life of worship. And as we exist as a church, we just want to be about inviting the people of God to exchange the common for the holy. 
as a core tenet of who we are so we gather week in and week out for worship that we make much of God so that the people in and around us can stand in all of a God who loves us enough to step down from his throne to make sure we would be delivered from death let's pray father we thank you so much for the grace and the mercy of Jesus these old testament psalms this collection of songs and prayers and and, and psalms they point to what is ultimately going to be fulfilled in Jesus And Father, we have the privilege to look back and see the whole story. You are working all of creation, restoring it, bringing to fruition the person and the work of Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we sing these final two songs, we would stand in all of you. That while we are confident in our salvation, that we are confident that we have an inheritance prepared and waiting for us, that as we sing these songs and reflect on your work on our behalf, that it would just overwhelm us. That it would be a reminder that we stand in all of a God who loved us so much that he would send his son for us, that he would continue to engage us in making much of him so that we and those around us would stand in all. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.